from KQED. It is one more chance to take a look at the road ahead. That's what I'm calling this, the road ahead so edition. Re- so reflective. Of Myers. the California Politics Podcast. For Thursday, October 15th, I'm John Myers from KQED News with Marisa Lagos from KQED, Anthony York from the Grizzly Bear Project. A little bit of this and that this week. Uh, some more movement on the 2016 election front, ballot measures. We want to look backward toward uh, Governor Jerry Brown and some of the bill signing actions and anything else we we take from that. And then a programming note at the end of this podcast. If you want to hear the programming note, then let me just fast forward right now. But um, otherwise, listen to the politics discussion. So let's start off with um, uh, with news that just came out here on Thursday as we're taping this. And we are in the lovely city by the bay, San Francisco today. Uh, Gavin Newsom, Lieutenant Governor of California, uh, is, I don't know, multitasker for 2016? Is he going to be a multitasker? Is he going to do more than one ballot measure? No, no. This is his initiative. The pot initiative isn't his, I don't think. So this initiative, Maurice's, uh, we'll we'll discuss. uh, This initiative is the um, initiative that uh, Newsom rolled out at a press conference on Thursday of he would be the proponent of a gun control measure that largely looks at um, ammunition and the size of ammunition clips and outlawing large ammunition clips. Um, Blah, blah, blah. The important thing is he's tackling gun control as a platform to run for governor. Blah, blah, blah. I like that part. To fight, to to pick a national fight. I mean, really. So cynical. So you basically just did the fast forward on the podcast herself to get to that. No, I mean... I mean, the details are important, clearly, but California already has far harsher gun control laws than most states. And, um, you know, I think that this is both personally expedient to him on a political level. And then, you know, it's something the Democrats are talking about. I think it it, it potentially sort of thrusts California more into the presidential debate, quite frankly. No. Anthony has no thought. I, 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 I think Anthony I, I, thought I was going to talk. I, I you know did. How this podcast thing works. No, wait, wait, hold on. Oh, wait, wait. I had the uh, the cough button on. Sorry, guys. I was talking. About it. Uh, Look who's become an expert in radio <laughs> or in BS. Actually, yeah. uh, uh, what what was the question against 2016? That's what we're talking about about the presidential debate. I mean, look, you know, like as Marisa said, our our gun laws are already more restrictive. But I think I think there's an exacerbation factor. You know, and we see it with the, in the, in the president, and I and I think um, you know these the Oregon shooting is the or, is Oregon even the latest? Was there one post Oregon? Uh, Oregon's the latest. There's been after right? that. There's, there's been Texas, two more. There was oh, right. Arizona. Yeah. So, um, I mean, yes, I, I think that um, there may be some talk of this. I, it'll it'll be interesting to see whether the needle on on this has changed. You know, because of the the swing state politics, totally different. But like. You know, the needle has changed nationally, nationally. Yeah. because the needle has changed so much, at least in California, on issues like like gay, well, gay marriage nationally, you know, um, uh, pot, I think, nationally. And I think this, this will be an, uh, sort of a barometer for guns. Nationally right. Which well. is why, you know, on the politics, Newsom is jumping into it. I mean, he's been ahead of the curve on gay marriage. He's put himself out there on weed when a lot of politicians don't want to talk about it. And I think I mean, this is far less risky than those two in in Cal- within California, um, you know, not to say that they're going to walk away with anything, but I do think that that there's going to be a stronger vote of support starting out for something like this than there would be in most other states. Well, one of the interesting parts to me too is that if you if you look at the gun control debate we've had in California, the discussions we've had over the years, I guess I should say, um, 
I am hard-pressed. Somebody in the podcast audience will tweet me and tell me that they can figure it out because they've got Google in front of them and I'm talking. But I'm hard-pressed to remember a ballot measure about guns and gun control. We have fought this fight in the legislative arena over and over and, and over. And in the courts. And in the courts. But it, I also think that that has been, you know, that has been the winning hand of, of the gun uh, side oh, yeah. of the NRA and others is that it's, it's a lot easier to kill something that way. The polling shows this could be a pretty potentially right. powerful measure uh, for passage. No, I, I absolutely agree. And I think that, you know, Again. Anthony is Googling uh, ballot measures and gun control as we speak. Go <laughs> I ahead. I thought we were in a bunker here, Anthony. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I, I absolutely think you're right, John. And I think that that, like a lot of these issues, while, you know, there's so much more potential for independent expenditures and, and a lot of money to be poured in at the ballot box, guns is one of those issues that a fair amount, I think, of the population is going to come down on one side or the other on like abortion sort of, right? I mean, yes, within that, there are people that are going to sort of have nuances, but I think you're starting out from a different point than, say, with a tax fight or something else where people really contend to, like, switch sides on those things. Um, and again, you know, t for Newsom, this is like, it's two years out. There's a field poll this week showing he's basically at the same level statewide as Antonio Villaraigosa, former L.A. mayor, who hasn't even said he's running for governor yet. Um, and so this is just another great way for Gavin Newsom to get out there, you know, to raise his profile in Southern California and other areas of the state where this poll showed people don't know him as well. Well, and, and one more part to the national race. We saw in the Democratic presidential debate this week another strong affirmation of gun control efforts by Hillary Clinton, who is a big Hillary Clinton supporter in California. Gavin. Gavin. So, I mean, I think there is a lot of okay. symmetry that uh, that maybe he would hope and that his political yeah. advisors would hope would I mean, would help elevate his cause. Totally. On the policy, I think it's a, a whether if, if you're in support of gun control, you know, I think it's you'll you'll laud Newsom for taking this on and for raising the profile even more. But, you know, one of the big criticisms of gun laws in this country is that they have been patchwork and that it doesn't really matter what you institute in California. if People can just come across the border from Nevada or Arizona or somewhere else. So as important so you're as you're saying, the build a wall, is, then, right? <laughs> totally. On all sides, really. I mean, um, you know, I think as important as the policy is, it it is in some ways more symbolic because of the fact that we live in a nation where we we can roam freely between states whether Anthony thinks you should or not <laughs> so let's let's roam to another ballot measure bad transition for for 2016 potential one that was um uh, unveiled this week as well uh this one totally different subject but again fascinating players and i think fascinating larger political dynamic that it could spark or that could be behind it uh and that is a, a measure being authored by wealthy republican donor charles munger jr and Sam Blakesley, former uh, legislative leader for Republicans in Sacramento. And this is the measure that people have long talked about that has gone nowhere in Sacramento to require all bills be 72 hours, three days in print before uh, they are voted on at the Capitol. It does seem to include um, bills that they're amended. Again, this is, this is um, promoted as a transparency issue. And the measure includes a couple of other little things, most notably um, a lifting on the, the, the long restriction on using 
video of uh, legislative debates um, for political purposes or using it, I guess, for anything. We can get to that part in a moment. But this notion of... John's looking at me there. He knows I have something to say. This notion of 72 hours in print. I mean, it has every time anybody's asked that question in any kind of polling universe, it seems to poll wildly popular. Lawmakers have often said it's fraught with peril. There are reasons you need to do things fast, the this and that and everything else. I have a response to that, too. Well, then Marisa Lagos, go at it. So as we have seen repeatedly in Sacramento, regardless of what the dynamics are, who's in charge, lawmakers are like teenagers. They need a deadline or they will not get anything done. To me, who cares if the deadline's three days earlier or not, right? Like, this is just moving the needle on that. So I think that at the end of the day, the same sort of behind-the-scenes negotiations that I agree need to happen on some sensitive issues can still happen. They're just going to happen right before something gets jammed to the floor on a vote. Um, you know, it will rob reporters of the opportunity to to get angry about how quickly things got jammed through and to write nasty stories about it. So I guess that's one downside. Or the opposing <laughs> lawmakers to stand up in the floor speech well, right. and say, same I thing. haven't had a chance to read this. Right, document. because they always read the document. Well, well their right, staffs, they always read their staffs every... do, though. Their staffs well, do, and, the, some... you know. I would like to think staff doesn't know. Certainly reporters do, right? Reporters Every always word. Read but isn't this the kind of measure that, I mean, again, at its first blush, looks like a motherhood measure. Everybody likes it. Everybody will support it. Somebody will say there's some devil in the details. And this thing about um, video of legislative debates being used in political campaigns, or at least removing the restriction that it cannot be used, would that be the thing that somebody says, aha, it's a Trojan horse and they want to do X with it? Or is there a business involved in it? I don't know. I, you know, I mean, um, but does anyone think that the world's going to end, you know, either way? I mean, it, that if this kind of video is allowed? No. That, and that, 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 that public debate, you know, the video of public debate and the people's house is allowed. I mean, I, I don't... I don't see this as a threat to national security. No, am I missing? What am no, I missing? I totally agree. I think the idea that law, publicly elected lawmakers who are doing things on the public's dime and at, you know, our behest. Right. Like, they should be held accountable. And this, the idea that just because, like, state resources were used when that's the only way you're really allowed to record it, that it shouldn't be in the political sphere. I mean, everything is political. Um, does this does this kind of issue fit in the sort of in the category of rebranding of the California Republican Party? I mean, is there is there an effort? Munger is one of the party's largest donors, right? We are the, the largest donor. We are donor. the pro transparency party. The right. Pro- it's certainly better than the anti immigrant party, right? Which is which is what the image has has been among a lot of a lot of uh, California Latinos for the last twenty years. So, uh, I mean, right? Is that part of? We've talked a lot on this podcast over the years. Uh, about uh, about the transition of the Republican right. Party. This has been a long. Uh, <laughs> uh, 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 I, I just wonder if this fits yeah. in that I, in that category. I guess my problem with it, though, is that uh, with that, it, it may be. But the problem know. is that is that Munger was not exactly um, applauded by Republicans for backing the redistricting measures. And, and the prop, and, prop thirty two stuff wasn't. Oh well, no, his, his money was dis- declared. Right? Yeah, but if right, you look okay. at redistricting, which I think is more in right. line with this government reform kind of thing, I right. mean, uh, Republicans were not thrilled about that. And as a matter of fact, we know tried to overturn the redistricting commission's work by along referendum. With, along with the Democratic Party. Right? Yeah. So I, I I don't know, but it, it, it is interesting, especially for a guy who has done a very good job at staying in the shadows. And I mean that in the public sense of talking to the press and being out in front and doing things. And now uh, he is the proponent of, of a measure. And you have to believe it's going to be on the ballot. I mean, he can independently finance the signature gathering process and the threshold is low. And, and, and anyway... 
I, I don't know. I don't know what we would make of it, but I did want to say that, you know, we are now getting a view of what I think is going to be a fascinating 2016 ballot. And, and since the, the subtitle of this podcast is The Road Ahead for many different reasons, I want to just talk about that before we talk about other subjects. Now let's look at what we've talked about over the last few weeks. We've talked about um, tobacco tax, minimum wage, Prop 30 extension. Campaign uh, finance. Campaign yeah. finance with that omnibus measure about um, money yeah. and politics yeah. things and right. whatever. Now we're talking about uh, transparency of bills in the Capitol, guns. Did we say taxes already? Did we start there? And I haven't said marijuana yet. Marijuana. No, no, no. I mean, Texas. again, this is so this not is to mention some of the union, like labor stuff that could. I mean, this is turning maybe. out to be a very big ballot potential. Well, remember now, there's no more June ballot, so this is this is a full two capturing a full two year cycle. So there and and I think the economic situation is different. It's a president. The electorate is different, right? That I think you see more liberal measures probably in a presidential year than you do, and you see more conservative, traditional conservative measures in a in a gubernatorial year. And let's not forget the change that Jerry Brown signed a few years ago, you know, which basically pushed all these measures to November. Yeah, as right, you were right, saying, but there's right. no June, right? Right, right, right. And, uh, and you know, what's interesting now is we have these— offer. Yeah, you must have not been listening. Weird, <laughs> weird. Uh, um, anyway, as I was I saying— I was thinking about my post-November vacation clearly. next year. But And also there's going to—all these things are going to be heard in the legislature. I mean, and you wonder— how, mu- how many of these you mean are the just... new process of right. the hearings. And so how many of, of these, look, for only 25% of the signatures, right, which is, and typically you gather more than 100%, so it's really a small fraction of the cost, you can prompt a legislative hearing to, a, to get some of these issues heard. And so um, that'll be interesting to see over the next couple of months as these hearings on these issues start in the legislature as well. Of course, if you wanted to use the video from a legislative hearing for the campaign, you hey, can't. There's all... Unless uh, unless yet. the measure passes, well, yeah, not, for the, not this time, but right. the next one, right, right. No, I I actually think that's a really important point. I think that some of these measures, you know, just by virtue of having some sunshine let in ahead of time, could change, and and hopefully in in good ways, right? I mean, the campaign finance one is a great example of that. I was talking to somebody sort of involved in the accountability world who was saying, you know, they're not sure if they're going to support it because it was sort of crafted behind closed doors, which is ironic for. A measure that's all about sunshine. But, you know, so th- there is a potential. I'm, I'm going to be the optimist here. I think these legislative hearings do have a potential to really sort of nip some big problems with initiatives in the bud before they're on the ballot. And, um, you know, to give everybody a better understanding of sort of the, the holistic world of what that ballot's going to look like. Because as we've discussed before, there's only so much money to go around from any interest group, and it'll be interesting to see who chooses what fights. Well, and and like a lot of election years, it's going to be a full employment cycle for political consultants and campaign folks. But one more thing on the on and the journalists, lo- yeah, and journalists. We hope. Uh, Do we get paid more when that happens? Mm. Uh, mm. You- oh, it's the bat phone. <laughs> yes, caller, <laughs> Topeka, Kansas. You're on the air. It is the phone in our studio. Let's answer it. Okay, so now we have rejoined the podcast. I stopped there for a moment so while Marisa could answer it. I'm sorry, Podcast Nation. It was no one interesting. It was not. Uh, it was not the president calling. It was not anyone. I, I was hoping for a long time listener, first time caller, but <laughs> alas, we should take calls sometime. Okay, we'll talk about podcast options to come. This is the question I wanted to ask about the ballot really quickly. With so many measures that could be called the marquee measure. What happens with the narrative and the oxygen and the ad buys and the everything? Guns could be marquee. Pot could be marquee. 
the presidential race will be marquee. I know I mean, that, but in the ballot measure universe. But, ballot but again, universe. but the ballot measure universe is going to be one one step removed from the national discussion, which is going to be for an open presidency. And and, uh, and in which and, case, then does like the gun measure get helped if Clinton is the nominee and talks about well, guns? To, yeah, to Marisa's earlier point, I think. Um, you know, the, some of the touch points on the California stuff. I mean, look, you can see the Prop 30 extension being wrapped into the income inequality discussion, right? Yep. I mean, like, uh, I think there are a lot of things happening in California, and some of those things are reflected on the ballot. Um, you know, the tobacco tax could be uh, Obamacare, Medi-Cal expansion, you know, so or Medicaid expansion. So um, there, there are a lot of uh, sort of mirror mirrored pieces on the California ballot, but I think that the national discussion is really going to drive everything in the state in 16. Why do we have to choose one? We don't. I mean, I think, I, I think realistically, just the few Anthony just mentioned, the few. <laughs> this is going to be a fun year. Um, they're all going to have big money behind them. We're all, you know, like, like reinforce your mailbox, people. Like, <laughs> it's going to be a big year. And television, and, be prepared and te- yeah, for the TiVo fast-forward. Sorry, yeah. campaign yeah. Facebook timeline ads are going to be everywhere. Yeah, yeah social media Digital. will be interesting Digital. to watch, be yeah, for sure. But, yeah, I mean, I think that I don't know that one, unless we get, okay, so Newsom heading up this gun thing and potentially being the spokesperson for pot will definitely make them more high-profile just sort of in, like, from an editorial point of view. Um, but unless we get, you know, the, the governor backing the taxes or something like that, I think that they will all be competing for, you know, our attention, for airtime, for, for for to take attention away from the presidential race. Well, but I but I do think I, I think, John, was this your point? Maybe was it mine? I don't know that another some, person paying attention that, yeah, that, totally. well, no, that's not, to my own to words, himself. Right. <laughs> Give you an indication um, <laughs> that some of the messaging around these measures could end up being influenced, you know, by by the presidential campaign to mirror. I yeah, mean, like, that's what I you said. know. Yeah. So and uh, have overlap within each other. And then it's like a circle within a circle, man. <laughs> okay, while we're being deep, while we talk about concentric, let's uh, let's transition here on the California Politics Podcast and uh, uh, pivot to the road ahead, based on the road behind, with the governor and bill signings for 2015. Just because when we taped the last podcast, we had talked about a few of them, like we talked about the medically assisted suicide bill and a few there. Well, we obviously got the last batch of them over this previous weekend. And uh, I'm going to flag a couple of things that are most notable, and then if my colleagues have something else to jump in. One, of course, is this uh, voter registration bill, which would register people to vote through the DMV, um, which I think has a lot of interesting moments in it we can get to in a moment. And then the package of vetoes that the governor had on tax credits and Medi-Cal and all of the veto messages being saying, hey, legislators, you didn't fix the MCO tax, the managed care tax in special session, so we ain't got the money. I'm going to veto. Which was sort of rich because the governor called the special session and then like said nothing about it, really, for the rest of the legislative year. So, well, yeah, I, I, I don't. Are you I, saying that's the glass houses shouldn't throw stones? I just found it interesting. I mean, it almost feel who knows what was said behind closed doors but all my conversations in the building didn't feel like he was putting a lot of pressure on them to get this wrapped up by the end of the session so it's interesting to me that he sort of used that as his reason or i'm say critics would sure critics would say excuse for vetoing something i mean yeah. i think the fiscal responsibility message was probably 
part of it too. It it is a drop in the bucket, but well, and some of the and some of the criticism was that you know it was uh it it was an overarching strategy that missed a lot of important things, like the criticism of the affordable housing uh, element for the tax credit element and things that he you know they they would argue that it was not a well thought out decision to just blanket veto things for fiscal reasons. Well, but all those tax credits, he was talking about a larger uh, financial instability in the state budget, which I, you know, the governor's talked about for a long time. Um, And we'll keep talking about it. And we'll keep talking about it. But I, but, um, but it is, I mean, it is interesting given the the tax discussion we're about to have, right? I mean, it's like, if we're going to keep these, these services and extend these services, we need to have a tax structure that, that, uh, that sustains it. And I don't know if I was, you know, I, I don't know. And, and the governor's going by what, by what's on the books now, right? That come 2016, the sales taxes of Prop 30 begin to roll off. (laughs) By the end of 2018, the income taxes roll off. So until that question is resolved. But he won't get behind. But it's not, well, that's not his. He said he, he, he had, you know, he, he sold the patch, and that no, was how he sold it. And and going forward, you know, Californians kind of probably have to but, weigh in on this. But again. to Maurice's point about you know the interesting choices of of what you take a stand on. To your point, Anthony. So he sold a patch to the problem, but he also kind of widened the problem in the future with the medical expansion and the medical expansion that he has embraced wholeheartedly. That the MCO tax has to solve part of what the governor led a charge on. So I mean, it's, right. it's all twisted. It's all. And together it's also just really interesting. I mean, the affordability issue is so important to Democrats, you know, and and this idea of this this tax credit for affordable housing that the speaker really pushed. I mean, you know, again, I I think it shows how, it, in some ways, how little sway even the governor's closest allies in the legislature have over him. I mean, he. You know, Atkins seemed to be his favorite. He, well, but it's not. Well, at the same time, the big bill was the De Leon bill. I mean, um, yeah, right, yes and no. Surprised. But I think, but I think there's a certain look. I, I think watching this governor in action too, there's a certain amount of uh, respect for the for the Constitution and the and the process by which a bill becomes a law is that it gets worked out in the legislature first, and that the legislature is the place. Where the buffaloes, the the interest groups battle it out among each other, and when it comes time to close, I mean, the governor's staff monitors those conversations, but the governor's office engages when there's a deal at hand. But there has to, there's a lot of brushwork that has to happen, and and uh, before it gets to that place, and I just got the sense from talking to folks after this session that remember we had all the leadership turmoil and, and a lot of stuff going on, and there was just. You know, the realtors were on board with the housing proposal, right? They they had gotten sign off on the proposal, so um, it was just the partisan. Like, there was just nothing happening between Democrats and Republicans, and and we'll see if that logjam breaks next year. So my big ones that I don't, I wouldn't say I'm surprised about, but speaking of special interest, I think this shows that this governor is not as independent as some people think. Um, so first of all, I was really surprised by his veto of the Tanabeth Jackson thing to expa- expand unpaid family leave. Um, Arguing that it didn't match with the federal system. In yeah, some which was, seems so weak. I mean, that was the argument of business. But would that be, I read the details this morning because I was really confused by it. And what they're basically saying, so what this law would have done was expand unpaid family leave protection. So it wouldn't said employers had to pay people to go on these leaves, but their jobs would be protected for up to 12 weeks if they went to care for a family member. And right now it's pretty limited to like parents and kids. This would have expanded it to grandparents and domestic partners. And, you know, I think sort of take it took into account the way family structures have changed. Um, 
And what business argued was that because of the fact that it didn't mesh perfectly with the Family Leave Act federally, this would leave this loophole for folks to to say, okay, so I'm sick for 12 weeks and I can take those 12 weeks for myself and then I can take an additional 12 weeks. Yeah, he made an argument that it was like double dipping or something. Which is like, I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I, w- I was a little surprised by that. It seemed, as we heard Clinton talk about this and Sanders on the national stage this week, as, as this has become sort of this ongoing debate about affordability and all yeah, these but, things. But California, I mean, look, California has deeper problems of poverty and inequality than other than other states. But when you look at what's being talked about on the national level, what's striking is how much of that stuff California has done in yeah, recent which years. Which is why I was you know? surprised. But so. to your point about, Anthony, about the governor weighing in when a deal is imminent, look at, at how that bill was received by the business community, which fought it, fought it, fought it, fought it, and then look at the equal pay bill, which the business community came on, Governor sees a deal, jumps right. on the deal. So yeah. I mean, maybe that that yeah. kind of holds true there. I want to talk about. I want to talk about the voter registration one just for a moment, um, just because it got a lot of attention. It puts California in a large Nash in a in a small category, I'd say, of of a lot of potential voters who could come down the polls. Six and a half million, about somewhere about who are eligible but unregistered. The devil's in the details, though, and I don't think this was sold very well. Um, and I give credit to some other Capitol reporters who've been looking at this recently. Um, it is uh, not by name. Well, I'll name them all. I'll name them all. One of them is one of my, my new colleagues, Melanie Mason at the oh, Los yeah. Angeles oh, yeah. Times. Well, you know, I, I know she's working on it. Um, but there's this element of um, the fact that a lot of us didn't pick up on the fact that you're not automatically registered. Uh, you, it's not an opt-out system. Like you go to at the DMV and they have to ask you, do you want to register? And you say yes, and that's the only way that triggers it. So it's not necessarily going to get all of the automatic people. Automatic is a term you didn't even hear by the end people talking about. It just became new motor voter, not automatic registration. And then the statewide voter database that has to be updated before it. I guess my point is there's a lot that will happen before that law takes effect. And I think that the sales pitch of what it would do is going to be different than the implementation, which is going to be a lot harder. The DMV actually didn't like the bill, right. and the governor stepped away from his own DMV to sign the bill. Yeah. And, and in just a piece of, of, of context that I found interesting, the number of voters that potentially could join the vote rolls in California, which is going to be several years from now, is more voters than Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina combined that are on the rolls. I mean, it's it's what we miss about the relative size of the California electorate if you... Yeah. So, but you you're you're the man who started this press corps narrative Anthony, on Twitter. Right? No, well, I was just well, I'm going to give you credit. Struck. I'm going to shout. I'm going to shout out for. Anthony. And I will say, I we got a we got an uh, an op-ed in the Cron and a story in the B. I think I, so. It might be coincidence. So, for those <laughs> for those who did not see all that, lay, lay it out real quickly here, Mister York. No, it was just an observation that uh, a number of these bills that the governor vetoes pass with larger than two thirds majority in in some cases almost unanimous. Um, right, and and some and um, and yet there's been you know, no real effort. There was one Sam Blakesley bill on parks, right? But um, other than that, no real effort to override a veto. And it's just, it's you just mean, since it's, he has been back since in he's office. been back in office. He was the last governor to actually have a veto overridden, death penalty, some other stuff. That's the history podcast. Um, but that it, it's just an interesting. While this power is within the within the constitutional authority of the legislature. Politically, it's seen as such an escalation that it's just rarely used. And it's just it's interesting how the legislature leaves this bullet in the chamber, so to speak, you know, in its political arsenal. Um, 
that's all. It was just an observation. It wasn't saying that we should have more overrides, but it's like, what? It, but what does it say about a process that you believed in the bill enough enough to pass it the first time, but not enough to make sure that it actually becomes law when it's within, you know, the authority of the of your institution to do so? I I just yeah. I found that interesting from a from a, a balance of power perspective. And I and I suspect, and I mean, this is the only thing that comes to mind with me out of this because I think it's a great analysis. I suspect this is not going to be the way things remain. Because With a I, new governor. And... Not a new governor and an emboldened legislature that serves longer because of the new term limits. I, I wonder right. whether, you know, this governor marks the end of the more powerful governors because the legislative branch is going to get more powerful than it right. has been over the last two decades. And, and you might this dynamic change? Of course. And you won't have another four term governor. I mean, Jerry Brown had a level of authority, you know, with a young legislature, a young term limit era legislature and his you know, previous decades of political experience. And that uh, that sort of resume imbalance is not going to be in place with, with the next governor, whether it's uh, Villaraigosa or at Newsom. No, there are much more combative relationships with the legislature. That's what John is saying. I mean, you know, talk to John Burton about Gray Davis, you know. Yeah, but I'm saying that they still didn't override any veto. True. Well, but there weren't, there weren't, I don't think you had that dynamic of the two-thirds bills being being vetoed by David. I don't I don't think you saw that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we had bills that were vetoed that were like a seventy-nine zero vote in the assembly. Right. You know. Yeah. And I and I. Oh, find, we have we have over. But again, I think I, I'd just be curious. I don't know it to be true, but I am very fascinated to watch the power of the legislative branch under the new system and as uh, a governor Newsom v. Ragosa Garcetti at all at all uh, came in. Um, so we will, um, we will see, speaking, speaking we will of the see future. where, we, we will see where that goes. <laughs> We're so transitioning. Any, so anyway, uh, before we end the podcast, uh, there's no side dish this week. So, um, sorry, too bad. We, we didn't have time to come up with one. Um, or, I just want you to know that revenge is a dish best served cold though. It's coming for you, Myers. Coming. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's coming. Go, go ahead and say what you're going to say. Go ahead and say what you're going to say. It's coming from Lagos before it's coming from York. <laughs> so, okay. So, um, programming note, podcast audience. If you are listening on iTunes, and if you are listening on iTunes, and if you are listening on iTunes, uh, this feed will not be here next week. Uh, this is the, the last chapter of this kind of California politics podcast through right now. I haven't announced it on the podcast before. But this is my last week at KQED. Uh, next week, I'll start work somewhere else. Marisa's shooting the daggers. No, she's just looking off in the stay space. Um, next week, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, start a position over the Los Angeles Times. Um, now she's looking at me with the daggers. You can say it. You can, you, you can, we can utter their name. It's okay. okay. All right. So I'll, I'll, Jeez, I'll, this is pathetic, you guys. This well, is the, really pathetic. This is interesting because we used to introduce <laughs> Anthony from the Los Angeles Times. And so now Anthony's a Grizzly Bear Project. And now I'm going to go over there. And Marisa's going to be here. I have love for the Times, okay? I have a lot of friends there. And, a, and an aunt. Fine. Aunt Robin, shout out. Shout, shout out to her, uh, her, her, her columnist aunt. Um, but anyway, those of you who listen on iTunes, that means the feed is going to be a problem. If you listen on SoundCloud, guess what? I think we're going to do a little bit of podcasting here on the side, maybe the cocktail podcast, um, or the, the busking, coffee, the busking, the podcast. coffee clatch podcast, or something to that effect. We will find a way. Some rogue podcasting. I'll be the sober one, so you guys tweet at me ahead of time, and uh, it'll be funny. Why will you be the sober one? I'm pregnant. I already outed myself last week. I oh, did you? Of, yeah, I got a lot of. Were, were you not listening, John? No. I wasn't <laughs> listening. <laughs> I didn't. 
I didn't say it, but I said I couldn't drink on my birthday, which uh, apparently I'm a big enough drinker that everybody knew what that meant. So let me just say to the folks who listen to this podcast, I know it's disruption. I think a couple of you on Twitter, when I said I hinted at this last night, there was somebody in all caps, oh, God, no, something. Don't worry. Uh, I think he was, what's his name? Marcus? Shout out to, to, to him. Yeah. Um, so a couple of things. One, keep checking on SoundCloud. Two, follow us on Twitter. Anthony York 49, M Lagos. John Myers. We will keep you posted. We might have a brief cessation here as I unpack boxes and pack boxes, but I I think we will keep this stuff going. And the most important part of all of this, which I didn't do when I left KQED um, a few years ago and then all these other things, is I didn't thank people who listen to the podcast because I really do appreciate that. I think the the audience of this podcast may not be huge, but you are damn loyal. And I I think that is something to give you uh, credit for. Um, But in particular, I want to thank Marisa, because I think Marisa Lagos is one of the most talented political reporters in California, and she was good enough to come work with me at KQED, and maybe I have a slight bit of guilt, but she'll find me at the Capitol. But no, I I think Marisa is a real pro, and she has been on this podcast. She was here before when she was at the Chronicle, and then she came back, and it is awesome to have her back in this. And the guy who I pick on a lot, but I do need to thank, um, like, sincerely, is Anthony York, who has been doing this podcast with me since 2006. He has Man. not been paid. He will take donations through the mail <laughs> at Anthony York 49. Maybe I can find a way to pay him someday. Give it give it to charity. But I think um, his analysis is about the best you will get in what's going on in California and how it relates to the California experience. And so I'm very grateful to have that here. And so now this great big love fest, man, I just gotta... Yeah. All right, break. Let it go. Um <laughs> So that <laughs> we love you too, John. No. Everybody loves John. Come on, let's let's give a little love. It wouldn't have happened without right. him. He has right. soldiered through different outlets through. You mean an... like a power cord? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I meant like he was at KQED. He was at News Ten. Then he comes back, and now he's going he's to not, a print newspaper dying. who doesn't know anything about broadcast. So we'll see. How well wow, they do. Meow. Okay. And <laughs> I'm a longtime newspaper gal. And that's another podcast. <laughs> anyway, I do appreciate all of you. Keep on Twitter. Look for the hashtag California Politics Podcast. Follow us. It ain't going away. We're just shifting gears a little bit, uh, Marcus. Um, for John Myers and Marisa Lagos at KQED News, Anthony York from the Grizzly Bear Project, thank all of you for listening, and we'll see you soon.